Welcome to the Capital Light Assembly podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Edison is your contract manufacturing partner focused on Capital Light Assembly of complex mobility and energy products that are not well suited for highly automated production. Brandon Bartnick here, joined again today by Frank Webb, our Director of Engineering. Frank, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Likewise, thanks for having me. Yeah, this will this will be fun. So we've third appearance here, as I think you're making. So we've talked previously about quality. We've talked about delivery. Critical, especially for the types of products that we're talking about here. Relatively low volume, typically high change, whether it's the product or the market and or the market. Um, high degree of uncertainty often. And it's mandatory that whoever is manufacturing is able to do it in a reliable, repeatable way that provides a high quality product and also is able to meet delivery timelines. Now we're talking about, I think, the, the third leg of the three-leg stool that people are familiar with, which is cost delivery and timing. So talking cost right now. And yeah, we're going to unpack that a bit and, and talk about what that means in, in this world. So I think at maybe, maybe let's first talk about upfront cost. So when we're talking capital light production, one of the, one of the pillars here is not requiring an abnormal or a crazy amount of upfront capital to get started. Can you talk about what goes into developing a production system that yeah, is capital efficient upfront? Yeah. Um, on the whole spectrum, right? You can go from a traditional OEM or a tier one type of an environment where they'll make a million water pumps for you a year, right? And there's going to be a lot of tooling up front. There's going to be a lot of expense and automation. But generally speaking, you're going to get the exact same water pump every single time, and you're going to do it at a really low piece price. That's why you can swap out the water pump on your 10-year-old car for a $150 part. Um, on the other side is uh, the, the phraseology we used to use is uh, the, the welding bar, uh, which is you can get a bunch of guys that are, are mechanically or gals that are mechanically inclined that are craftsmen sometimes, and they will put together a low volume of usually single digits of units. And you won't have to spend nearly anything up front unless there's something absolutely required, like you're you're casting a piece that has to be cast. Mm. Um, but you can you can look at those two different approaches. The trick is a lot of places fail to to make a good bridge in the middle ground um, where you need that high quality and you need a at least reasonable piece price. Um and you need that repeatability, but you don't have the money to spend on that five, ten, fifteen million dollar assembly line. So the the real the real magic, at least where we've spent most of our time at Edison, has been in that middle ground and deciding how much to turn up or down that upfront investment. Um, there's there's still a scale even in the uh, the volumes and the types of programs that we tend to work on uh, that I've worked on in my career uh, that for the same product at the same volume we can have those discussions of do we spend ten thousand dollars on a fixture or do we spend one thousand dollars on a fixture? What's the what's the real trade off there? How many minutes are we going to save an assembler's time? How many uh, parts per million or, or parts per thousand sometimes uh, of failure are you going to have? And what is the cost of putting a detection into that system so that that doesn't escape? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that scale is oftentimes something that we're talking about when we're writing proposals. Uh, oftentimes, uh, Miami lead and I will sit down and we'll look at his fixture costs and say, I think we ought to increase that in order to take some time out or take some uncertainty out. Um, and really the goal is to align the scope of the program and the scope of that investment with what the actual end customer needs and, and not just like the end consumer, right? But the, the customer being the company that's trying to bring this product to market, what do they have as resources and what do they have as requirements? Uh, and then what, what type of demand do they see and what type of margin are they going to get on the end product? Cause all those things come together in kind of a multivariate sort of a, a, 
a problem that's difficult to quantify. Uh, but when you start to dive into the individual pieces, for example, we recently spoke about uh, battery pack assemblies for a particular uh, potential partner that we're, we're talking to here. Um, and you're, we're trying to decide how we wrap a particular type of isolator around a battery cell, like a 21700 cell. Um, and we could spend 50 bucks on a little nest that we print in our own 3D printer and help you roll it around and you rely on the operator to put an adhesive tape on there. And then you have a, an inspection process and a couple of different things in order to make sure that happened correctly. Or do you spend a few thousand or even $10,000 on a fixture where the operator is going to pull a lever or press a button and all of this is going to happen automatically? Mm -hmm. uh, none of those things are what you would see on an actual industrial assembly line for battery pack manufacturing. There would be no fingers touching the cells uh, in, in a real volume environment. But even within our smaller niche, uh, there's scales uh, to to automation. And it doesn't necessarily look like what you would consider automation in this, this sense, but there's scales to how much we invest in the tools and in the in the training of the operator. And sometimes the, the, the caliber of the operator itself, are we going to be looking at a ASE certified mechanic or somebody with equivalent set of skills? Uh, or are we looking at, for something that can be a lot more accessible to a, a different le level of operator, a different level of experience and mechanical aptitude? Um, mm -hmm. And all of those things are kind of knobs that we can push and pull. And that's why we often have all these upfront conversations about where do you see this going? How confident are you, right? Not that we're trying to necessarily vet the customer and, and decide if they're going to be successful, but trying to to tailor the approach to the assembly line design and the, the tooling and fixturing that we're actually going to choose or design uh, in order to really achieve what what that customer, that partner we're working with actually needs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes it, it is a little bit of a, well, let's let's take a step back, right? And offer some trade-offs, right? There's a risk in their volumes and this is the cost of that risk. Um, and then make a plan on, on implementing that potentially later at a different time when volumes become more confident. Yeah, one one of the things I've I've come to appreciate watch, watching the way that you make these decisions and working with our our team to define an, a manufacturing and production approach is it's it's not we're not just taking things at face value. We're asking questions. We're understanding why and how questions. And it's like I don't know. Even just re recently here, we were talking right about getting asked to build one of something, which we can do. There's a lot of ways that we could build one of something. The question is what comes after that? What, what is likely to right. come after that? And the tough thing is a lot of the situations and the products that we're talking about, which are making this jump from proof of concept into low volume production, often like no one actually knows exactly what that volume curve is looking like. So we're trying to figure out with our partners and customers, like what what's likely to happen? What are the What's the probability distribution? What's the cost if we overinvest and make it, you know, too complex up front versus if we make it not as complex as we could have, like, how do we scale these things? And, and I appreciate how, you know, you're, you're weighing all of these things to put together a solution that we think gives us the best solution for the customer and the product while also maintaining optionality and mitigating risk and all these things. Yeah. And, and that, that particular customer that you're talking about, um, we, we had to, to uh, get down the rabbit hole of, we want to build one right now. We, that's understood. Are we building one in preparation to then build 1500 of them or are we building one just to take that away learn from it and then build a second one in preparation for building 1500 or third or fourth right where do we think that point is and with that particular customer interestingly uh, we were we were able to get to a very honest point with them right chatting about we need to learn how this first one goes together and what the customer wants out of it all right mm -hmm. right now we're going to look we're not going to look like the welding barn example necessarily right we're going to have the engineers out on the floor with 
basically reams of, of documentation and prints, and we're going to have CAD spun next to the vehicle while we're building it up in order to capture these things as we're learning them. But uh, we're not going to set up an assembly line. We're going to set up a very flexible assembly cell, right? We're going to be bringing the tools and equipment to the product rather than vice versa. Um, and we're going to use uh, a team of engineers uh, and uh, mechanics that are are prepped for this, that understand the context of what we're putting together here. Um, it's a joint development effort at that point. And, and that's a different approach than if somebody has already built five or 10 of these in their own shop and they're pretty confident of what the product needs to be. They just need to get it over the hump to make it reproducible in a, in a efficient fashion. Uh, we're probably going to jump a little bit further ahead on setting up that assembly facility in a little bit more sophisticated fashion. We're going to start investing a little bit more time in MES um, and, uh, and work instruction templates uh, in order to say, you know, we, we've jumped past that very early stage and now we're into the manufacturing, the DFM, DFA, and then the manufacturing process development. Um, mm -hmm. And so those, those, the where, where exactly on the life cycle, right? That's what we like to talk about with our program management uh, folks here at Edison is where are we on the life cycle, right? Most products go through a relatively similar set of steps or phases in their maturity as they, they grow up into a, a, a mass produced or you know, some kind of repetitively produced product. Um, and so where are we on that cycle? How mature are we? And and some of that is working with the customer to learn what they already know. Some of it is is sharing what we have seen in the past and what we know from experience with the customer and coming to that single picture of, in that case, it was, well, we need to build the first one that wasn't built in a garage. All right, yeah. let's do that and let's prep for it. And let, let's make sure that we're getting the learning we need to out of that. So when we go build 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 of them a year later on, it's uh, a much smoother transition, but we're not over-investing up front, right? We're not, we're not setting up a bunch of engineers to try and write process instruction for something that's probably going to get thrown out after the first one comes off the, uh, out of the assembly facility. Yeah, and it might be surprising that this conversation almost entirely so far has been at a strategic level, right? We haven't talked much. You've touched on a few kind of tactical type things, but I mean, that, that's kind of, we take that for granted, but all, it is a critical piece that we need to have all of the tools and the tool belt and enough experience and, um, you know, ways of executing certain things so we can throw the right tactic at the problem. But I think what we're talking about here, really this strategic decision of understanding what is it that the product and the customer and scenario actually needs, and then crafting a dedicated solution optimized for that. Like, I think that's where a lot of the magic is. And then you, you're taking the tools and you're putting them together, but like, it's really having this honest collaborative partnership discussion about what's the right strategic way to, to execute this, right? Like that's, that's the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Those technical, tactical solutions are sometimes really interesting. Um, like, uh, for example, when we, we, when I was involved in, in putting together, um, Google's first self-driving cars, um, the tactical solution on how we got the right adhesive wet out inside of those frames and, and how those things were bonded and how the stress calculations were done and how we were confident they were going to survive in the different crash scenarios that they were going to survive in. Uh, that was all really cool technical stuff. Um, but you can't solve the right technical problems unless you know where to focus your attention. The technical problems tend to, um, they don't solve themselves. Obviously you need a lot of mm -hmm. smart folks with a lot of experience and a lot of really creative, creative juices in order to solve those problems the right way. But those, that effort is wasted if you're not putting it at the right place, right? If we're not focusing it on the right part of the, 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 the product or the process, in order to remove a pain point, we, if we don't know, we can't do that effectively if we don't know what pain points matter the most right now. Um, you can't know what matters the most right now unless you know what right now is. 
and what the next step is. And it's it's a thing that is common in PMI as well. The Program Management Institute is uh, one of the best senses of a program manager is where am I in the program? What phase of the program am I in and what's next? And if you if you can apply that same type of methodology to the product development life cycle, um, everyone's a little bit different, but they tend to follow a very similar uh, over like story arch, for example, uh, they tend to follow that similar story arch, uh, knowing where on that arch we are roughly and what is probably coming next can really inform how we approach those, um, those different technical solutions and know where we actually have to put the brain juices to, 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 to solve a pain point or to maybe to not solve a pain point yet and plan to do it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And I mean, from a, back back to the beginning of this conversation of this this balancing between cost quality and, and delivery right like there's there's always trade-offs it's mm -hmm. making the decision of what and, and often these trade-offs often come back to cost or they come they, they somehow come back to what is the right solution for a customer what's going to you know maybe cost them the most long term but it's it's not like it's not always a what's the right cost for a piece price like you're zooming in and out and you're talking about what's the cost of poor quality what's the cost if we miss a delivery what type mm -hmm. of expediting costs are, are we going to incur if we're late getting something final like these are all different it's it's, it's much more uh nuanced multivariable calculation it's not just as simple as kind of black and white yeah, yeah, it really isn't black and white. And that's what you find a lot of times in manufacturing is an organization um, finds their their core expertise, right? They find what they're really good at, or they find what at the time that they're learning how to be an organization together, they find what the market needs, or, or they find a market need that fits, right? Regardless, there's a lot of momentum that tends to build up because manufacturing organizations tend to be investment heavy, not just in physical investments, but uh, in personnel, expertise, experience, uh, process development, that's a big one. Uh, that you get a lot when you walk into a, a larger established uh, contract manufacturer or tier one is they've got processes that have been in place sometimes for decades or or double digit decades, right? When you start getting into the big ones um, and those processes are there uh, just like safety regulations, right? They're, they're born in blood, sweat and tears. And there's a good reason that those exist and they've become a fabric of the organization. But when you have that, it's very difficult to to rewind right all those hundreds or thousands of procedures or learnings or templates and things and decide which ones of those actually apply here uh, mm -hmm. and that's what we try to do differently is uh, we've got our own obviously internal processes we're, we're iso compliant and just got our certification so we have all of that going on but we try to be very specific on where we put the those processes and what what level of abstraction those processes are are built on um, and for what we mostly do, the, the processes exist to set the context and help us develop the commander's intent, so to speak, of what the actual uh, activities in the program are going to be. And a lot of that is setting out the, the, the team's uh, headspace correctly when we're engaging with a new potential partner or customer uh, to say, what, where are we? What are we going to do next? Right. Like we were just saying. And how do we uh, how do we stay creative in that environment? And then start to be really intentional while we're being creative on what are we trading off with each one of these decisions and how exactly are we um how exactly are we going to manage that decision making process yeah and I, I think this is a great place to leave it so we won't dig any any deeper this but uh one kind of further wrinkle that makes this even more fun is that like very few of these data points that we're talking about are going to show up on a requirements document right, right. Like the type of thing that we're using like it 
there's a lot more that goes into really understanding the situation and understanding and being collaborative and being a partner and being trusted and trusting of the other side to come up with a, a solution. So like, yeah, you add all the, the human elements and, and things that come, come with it. So, um, yeah, Frank, really, really appreciate it. I think this is a, a great, great overview of kind of the, the strategic aspect of how are you designing an intentional production system, assembly process, manufacturing process for a given product with overall cost in mind. So yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.